Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN, and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. This episode, we, we steered into conferences and what was working and what wasn't working with conferences, but in traditional Cloud 2030 style, we dove into the future. What would make great conferences? What makes conferences good? Uh, what made them good in the past and, and what technology changes we think could be coming in the future. And we extended that from conferences into meetings and meeting technology and transcription. And so in the second half of this podcast, we really dive into how to help people connect together better. That's what conferences are about too. But, but here we extended it more broadly uh, and brought up some interesting things like sentiment analysis and adding a d- new dimensions into the types of tools that we're using today. I hope you'll enjoy it. I'm actually interested in reports from the in-person conferences that have been going on. Anybody getting feedback or is it still too soon? Are you thinking of any in particular Rob? Uh, the OSS conference, the open source conference, they held that. And KubeCon, I, I feel like KubeCon can't be going on yet. No. There was, a, there was a Saster, uh, the Saster conference was being held, or I, I think it is still going on this week, uh, started over the weekend uh, nearby. But I haven't attended. I don't know what kind of attendance they're getting. I, the two shows that I had been scheduled with, one of them wasn't until November, made the decision to postpone. Um, glue? I, I feel like glue, yeah. Um, I did offer for the glue con speakers, I'm working with Eric and Kim, um, to let them come in and speak here. I think it would be fun to say, hey, if you want, if you have a topic that you want to present, we're, we're happy to give you an audience um, and a place to talk and then have, you know, make, please make it more discussion oriented. But 30 minutes of presentation and then a 30 minute discussion would be um, really enjoyable because mm-hmm. the Glucon speakers are excellent. So hopefully they'll take us up on it. But we haven't had any trouble filling the agendas either. Um, I know that there is a conference at the end of October um, up in Napa, which is the Linux Foundation kind of confab. Um, And I... I'm pretty sure they haven't canceled that. So I would expect a lot of people to be flying in for that, coming in from out from, you know, a variety of places. So I, th- I thought that would maybe that's the one I was thinking of. Isn't that the Open Source Leadership Summit? Yeah, I don't think that ha- happens until the very end of October. I think it's beginning of November, actually. Yeah. We call it Member Summit now. Yeah, the member summit, and I think it it starts like the very last. It, it's probably let me take a look. Yeah, it's the first. It's the first of November when things start. You're absolutely right. 
Yeah, although like okay. international travel is still problematic, like I heard that they will be opening up the borders to Europe for those who are vaccinated, but it hasn't happened yet. So I personally am not booking any trips. So like the coming in from all over the place is kind of still up in the air. Yeah. So it's all over the place until it's like within the borders of the U.S., yeah, a number of a number of people that I know have um, in advance gone to the. I'm trying to remember exactly what the the organization in the U.S. is that um, basically you get what amounts to kind of a year long visa for travel, and because it's you know you've basically uh, convinced somebody that your travel is for purposes of business, not tourism and so forth. And they give you basically a, you know, one year's, one year's leeway on that. It's the moral equivalent of a, of a, you know, of a visitor as a, of a visa or a visitor's pass. Yeah. But does that apply to COVID? It, 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 it does apply in the sense that, um, if you have, if you received it, it it says you have you know authorization to come in so long as you have proof of vaccination or you know a, a recent, a fairly recent um, test of a certain kind. I don't know all the details, but yes, it, the whole idea is to reduce the uh, the pain of coming in um, because of COVID. That's interesting. The latest I saw was a one-time exception that you can apply for if you're not a U.S. citizen or green card holder, it's which is time. very different from the one-year visa card. Well, it's one time, but you, you may want to take a look at it because that one time may also be valid for one year. Well, I'm in the U.S. right now, and I'm just not going to leave. <laughs> <laughs> that works. <laughs> Because honestly, these processes are usually really complicated and I don't know. I mean, yeah, uh, friends have gone over to Europe recently and thought they were going to get caught um, because of that. Um, I, I did find I, I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't going crazy. There is an open source summit being held right. this week. But the leadership conference is not until the till the first. That makes that makes sense. Okay, yeah, because I was I was seeing these posts from people in person, like interviewing uh, Linets. Mm -hmm. I did not attend the conference, even though it's in Seattle. There are so many other things going on in this week that I just couldn't dedicate bandwidth, and I also I don't know. I just don't feel fully comfortable with. Um, being in crowded places yet, but I will meet up with a few people today. So I'll check with them how it actually went and how the experience was. Yeah. yeah. I, in general, I've taken to meeting people one-on-one, -on -one, but I haven't felt all that comfortable going into, you know, crowds of people going into a, a group with a large, with, with a in a in a in a venue, even if it's outside, not that more, not that. I'm, yeah, I'm doing one tonight, so I'll tell you. I'll tell you how 
like I'm, I'm on the fence whether I, I like I could walk into the room and say, you know, I just can't do it. Mm-hmm. But um, it's masks and vax, um, but it's still not that big a room. So yeah. Yeah. the best you can hope for is that there's an open window. Yeah, I suspect there's not even that. So I'm um, yeah, uh, that just is that just doesn't cut it for me. That's what no, I, <laughs> well, I, I mean, yeah, the farthest I think I, I mean, I go for walks on the trails around here and, you know, lots of green space and, and those kinds of things. And what I find is so bizarre and we're all very friendly to each other. It's good morning, good afternoon, how are you know, like, hi, whatever, as people literally are just passing each other by. But you see both parties or groups of people literally take like three wide steps away from the trail into the rough to avoid each other, just as they're even walking by or crossing the street, literally across the street. And everybody's still, va- still, you know, wearing their masks and, and whatever. And I think the most iconic symbol of the time is the notion of imagine people's faces and you see the mask on their neck, right? Because they're pulling it down and pulling it back up and pulling it down and pulling it back up. And uh, it's, it's, it's a very interesting phenomenon. Uh, somebody was telling me that they're trying to create an icon for that. <laughs> the mask required, mask not required, keep it on your neck, pull it up, pull, you know, that whole thing and turn it into yeah. an emoji as well. And I thought that's clever, but it's a little mm, provocative. Yeah. I it's um, you're making me think about the, the floppy disk icon that we use for save that you know yeah new generations yeah. don't don't understand that that's it that was a literal device and i'm i'm i wonder if 20 years from now we're gonna have like mask emojis for things that uh meet you know, have a meaning that we haven't fully interpreted yet i i can certainly appreciate that i mean i know um you know i was listening to the kids earlier this morning who because of the holiday are you know doing things at the school like half a block? I have one school half a block farther in one direction and a Catholic school in the other direction. And all you could hear was the music and the you know the stories being told over uh, loudspeakers. And what I was very surprised at was the public school um, was not requiring the kids to to keep their masks on outside, yet the private school, the the Catholic school, everybody was masked outside. Hmm. And I mean, it it was just, it was just very strange to, you know, when you like go for a walk in one direction or the other to see what's literally going on around you. And uh, I, I don't know that I would ever feel 100% comfortable going into a very large conference, whether it's, you know, the consumer electronics show or the big manufacturing show. I'm scheduled to be at one in January to deliver the technical paper on digital twins. And I keep rethinking that plan. And a lot of it really depends on the U.S. border, which is 
questionable at best. Klaus, have you traveled yet? No, no, no. Um, the furthest I've gone is just to, to the other end of the GTA to yeah. see family. And it's, to be honest, to me, it's not just COVID and the border situations. Like some larger conferences, I was at KubeCon, I don't know, a while ago. Um, and I got into the middle of the crowd as the people were trying to leave the conference center at the end of the day. And I'm not a person who feels claustrophobic, but... I kind of felt that scare that they say that when, you know, there is a, I don't know, a fire or something in a big stadium or, or movie theater and people are trying to leave and then you just get in the middle of the crowd and, and you know, if you fall, then you're dead. And I just kind of started to feel that, that, that fear and, you know, some panic attack building up in my chest as I was in the middle of the crowd and I couldn't move anywhere on, on my own will. And just even that memory is like with being isolated through COVID is just kind of making me feel like that it will be even harder to um, reintegrate and going to these big, massive, hilariously crowded conferences. And I'm just hoping that somehow COVID will make the event organizers pay more attention to directing crowd. So you don't end up in the middle of a group of people and feel like you have to fight for your life. I know exactly what you're, you're talking about for a variety of reasons, but the most common of them is because I'm little and I don't mean as in little people, but I'm short. And it's the worst feeling in the world to be in a crowd of people when you're smaller because you feel everybody breathing on you and you have no way around. Like you, you it, it's a horrible feeling. And I've learned over time to just stay where I am. Let the, let the throngs go. Another two minutes is not going to hurt me. And just, you know, wait until the, the most of it clears up. The worst is a crowded elevator though. Yeah. That's like, I think that's the, the closest that I can imagine you might have felt is when you're stuffed, you know, 20 people in, in a small space and you can't, you literally have no place to go. Yeah, I mean, that that is the feeling itself. I mean, elevators are just awful <laughs> in yeah. general. But um, I mean, I understand what you're saying. And yes, I was trying to calm myself down, but I still think that with some of the, uh, we still should keep distancing in some extent. I, I yeah. still hope that that conference organizers will, will be cautious about these kind of things too. I mean, at a large conference where the event venue can only barely hold the amount of people that was shoved that were shoved into it. I, I think that is the responsibility of the organizers. And I just mentioned KubeCon because that was the conference where I experienced it. It doesn't mean that it's the only place where it happens. I meant the comment in general that, that all event organizers will hopefully be more conscious in terms of catering is not the only thing that you need to be aware of. 
you also kind of make need to make sure somehow that that people can go around or leave the building without the feeling of fear. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind yeah, of no, hoping... I... Go ahead. Very real. No, no, no. Close. go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, uh, I'm kind of hoping that we, we see more distributed or multi-venue conferences. Um, hmm. I mean, Google I.O. is not exactly the, the, the best example of that, but it gives you an idea where they, they have the the central venue where, where, where they have the keynote speakers and, and all the people attending. Uh, but you also have the, the satellite venues uh, across the globe where they stream the, 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 the keynotes, where, where they still allow opportunities for the crowd to, to mingle, to, to participate without having to bring everyone to that one central location. I, 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 I would agree. I mean, I know what it's like in the Moscone Center. I know what it's like in the San Jose Convention Center because I used to be at Intel Developer Conference every year for like 10 years. And the Javits. And one of the things that I hate about these large venues is the fact that the human traffic control just does not exist. Even into the smaller, you know, the smaller like side rooms, forget about the big amphitheater type setups. They just don't know how to do it in a way that suits everyone. And rather than, you know, take an A lane, a B lane or a C lane, everybody just is all over the place. And I understand that the collegial atmosphere is part of the draw, but I totally agree with you, Klaus. I think it's time that we, you know, went back to what used to be years and years ago when I was very young if you went to a conference, you went to the same conference, you could go to the same conference in five different cities over a month, almost like a roadshow, mm. you know, of people pitching. And, and it was a much, it was an intro, it was a more amenable venue system because you could interact with the people you wanted to talk to because you would all plan to be at the same venue at the same time and avoid the throngs. And hopefully, at we, some point, we'll come back to that. We, but also, we could I actually think, do do a full. Uh, I, I I I love this topic because you're you're having me think about like all the times when I've been in these these crushes of people trying to get into the keynote, or right. It's 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 happened. I mean, I, at conference after conference, or the special events at the end, or whatever. Um, and I there's an interesting tie-in because the way we do keynotes and what we expect to be presented doesn't you know, you're tying up, you know, you're, you're being presented to by the technical leader or by the, by people who aren't going to go on a roadshow necessarily to do a whole bunch of small conferences. Right. Um, you still get these kind of conferences uh, to date or, or in pre-COVID. Yeah. Like, uh, Elasticsearch, for example, Elasticon. They, it's the same content, uh, on, but they bring it to, to various cities and on, on they the fly their, their speakers around. I, I remember when the founder of Salt, Thomas, I'm trying to remember his last name, was doing a roadshow and he was going to user groups, DevOps user groups. And I mean, it must have been exhausting, but he was literally 20, I think he went to 20 user groups across the country inside of a three month span, you know, and people were showing up and doing it. But that, 
That's a big, big commitment. I I uh, suspect that partially the, the reason why we don't see the, this kind of road type conferences as much anymore is that they're they've sort of been displaced by meetups. Like you 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 have yeah. the meetups organized. Uh, if it's for example, no, I one organized by by a, by a major organization like CNCF. They bring their 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 speakers to the meetup, um, and then they, they don't need to worry about booking the venue anymore because it's community organized. Right. Well, I know with the IBM summits, um, we used to, yeah. and and when I was at Gartner as well. I mean, between January and March, that was the high season of conferencing, and you were all over the world all the time, and you know, just literally doing the same spiels um, at each venue. But what I found about it was you actually accomplished a lot more because the people you were interacting with, whether it was at IBM or at Intel or anywhere else, the people you were interacting with were actually the people who cared. And they were the ones with the provocative questions and the make you think and the stuff that you could actually use from a vendor's perspective or even an analyst's perspective of, yeah, this is what's important. And you got more of the intonation, the nuance and the je ne sais quoi that comes with a face-to-face interaction of somebody who is saying to you, I really, really need you to do this for X, Y, and Z reason. And if you regurgitated that comment back to, you know, 10 other people who didn't ask that question, they would go, yeah, I need it too. So, you know, I mean, for those kinds of reasons, if you looked at the cost versus the productivity, you know, sorry for putting it that way, this, Mm -hmm. this was the reason. Look, if if anyone got some thoughts or ideas in terms of how to run meetups or events better or differently in the future, then, um, you know, I'm always happy to contribute. I I think being able to go back to uh, in-person interaction is, is crucial and being able to do that in a way that people feel safe and empowered to participate as opposed to just looking around all the time in terms of who's around and what they need to be scared of um, Mm -hmm. that will not help so if we can kind of work together in terms of how to make this a good experience when it can become an experience for more people again i think that's valuable discussion and i would love to stay for the whole hour but i actually have to run the meeting that starts in four minutes so i don't have a choice (laughs) you better go that's all right. We'll see you soon. <laughs> see you. And uh, thanks for the good chat. I enjoyed it. Thanks. So what what I would suggest, I would I would love us to to go to serverless at the edge as much as I'm I want to talk about conferences. I we can this is sort of one of those icebreaker discussions that we we do have on a regular, you know, we sort of uh because we're all watching and waiting for when conferences come back and and are good. Um that's, that's Emphasis on the last part. Yeah, it's. Have you attended any, Rob? Either in person or really well done virtual or hybrid that you've you know that you can point to that you think um, 
at least some aspect has has really made it um i have so virtual i haven't done any hybrid um and some of them are participating in for the second time they have and they have varying degrees so we uh we sponsor lisa and um srecon and those events have been pretty good around the speakers like 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 if you you find the topics that you want you can have some good discussions around the topics that you're having we didn't we didn't have a lot of interactions that were useful like general like general hallway track conversations as much but but we had some really good um because they run slacks in the background and we've had good interactions on the slacks in those in those mm -hmm. venues what about all they've been using yeah. things like discord um i use discord for uh around the vmware there's a vm a couple of vmware groups that really like discord um you know i i haven't been as excited about discord i just don't know i don't know why mm -hmm. um i'm sorry srecon is is uh system reliability site reliability I'm sorry. Site site reliability. Site reliability. Yeah, it's basically a DevOps DevOps show. Mm -hmm. And and they're phasing out Lisa, which is the large scale Linux administration or large infrastructure Linux administ system administration, large infrastructure system administration. Mm -hmm. um, and they're combining that with SRECon in the future. Um, but it, these are small venue shows. So normally like those two shows are two or 3000 tops. Um, and we found them really good and they're, they're technical, they're, they're, they're very, um, uh, operate, not operator, but the, the individual contributor focused shows from that perspective. Um, in terms when of I was, attendees and, and presenters or. Uh, both, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. They've been they've been very very good like that. Um, and all day DevOps um, has uh, I like the interactions that they have around Slack, so they're pretty good about that. Um, the and and this is where it's like for SRECon you pre-record the talks, but the speaker is in Slack at the same time, and so yeah. I actually really like that format. Right, the speaker yeah. can interact. I, I I just attended one this this week um, that used the same same approach. They used it with Discord rather than Slack, mm -hmm. but they pre-recorded all the presentations. And this was uh, an uh, an open. It was basically around data platforms, data um, data management, and kind of modern data stack. And it was. Uh, Kind of a, a joint effort by some of the leading lights, leading companies in in the modern data stack area, and they pre-recorded everything, um, and then had the speaker in a chat room, basically that was assigned to each of the presentations in in turn, and so uh, the the actual the speaker would be sitting there um taking questions in real time 
where if you had a question about something that they had just said, you you throw the question in and they'd come right back. Oh, well, this is what I meant. And if you need more detail on this, this is where you should go and look and so forth. And that I found that quite effective. So I spoke at Rensselaer earlier in the week and the, the way I had them do it. And I, I was very particular about this because just personal experience I I don't like attending conferences virtually or in person where you hear the presenter and all the questions have to be asked in the last 10 minutes or the last 15 minutes or whatever. I find it's stupid because 90% of the time, the person who's asking the question no longer has that question in their mind. They don't remember why they were asking they, the question. Or they, already, or they already know the answer. And the reason they're asking the question is exactly. Learn. So what I did was when I did the pre-recording, I did it in sections. So I did 12 minutes and then I stopped and I said, I'll take questions now on what you've just heard. But I'll tell you that coming up, I'm going to be answering this, this and this question. So, you know, the ones that I got after the fact or in real time via Slack were very specific and required longer explanation than what I was able to give on Slack. But I said, okay, so here's the quick answer. If you want the deeper dive, call me, contact me, my email, whatever, whatever. And I did that in four sections. And it was probably the most effective way I've been able to do it. Because if I'm in person, I'm doing the same thing. I always stop after a particular amount of time or section material, call it the page, you know, the blank page in between sections. And I ask, and I'm looking for that feedback and I'm looking for the questions because sometimes it directs the rest of the presentation. And sometimes it just gives me an insight as to people care, people don't care. Their attention span is very limited. You know, if I see, if I see all the phones suddenly start to raise, I know I lost them. They're not interested in this particular aspect, so I'll drop it. But it's a very, it makes it more interactive. And I think it's better for the audience because they feel a connection in a way that you don't normally get. Just my two cents. I I agree with you. I, I like that ability to interact with the, with the audience while the, the sessions are going. Um, and it almost strikes me that, that the ultimate even in-person conference, right, would be to have a pre-recorded talk and then have the speaker sitting on the stage being able to IM and answer questions as you go or pause and say, all right, let me, you know, this question came up. I want to interrupt and answer it. Um, Yeah. Yeah, no, I I agree. And I think also the idea of the pre-recording, you can be more yourself. Mm Yeah. You know, in some ways, you can do as many takes as you want and, and all of that sort of stuff. Um, I don't I don't think that we've mastered the virtual conference yet. The best that I've seen, and this may be controversial, is Huawei. Because they are recorded presentations, and but you but the way they're done is good craft. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't seen a Huawei. What, what does that mean? What's the, 
That because they they have to go through translation, Shreya. Um, part of uh, part of it is because they have to go through translation, but I just find that the stagecraft and the way they're presenting, they have mastered one thing that I haven't seen anybody else master yet, and that is bringing real data into the conversation in a way where it's not just, oh, and the statistic was X, Y, or Z. They'll show you the graph. They'll explain the graph. They'll tell you where they're getting their data from, et cetera. So like their Congress was a couple of days ago. And um, I, I think that they have figured that part out in a way that most other large enterprises that are holding conference don't. And that that makes it more useful because you can always turn around and ask for that proof point and they'll send it to you. Mm -hmm. They'll give you any data that you want within reason, of course. Do, do they also take advantage of like a, a live transcription or a transcription for that? Because they do from a language perspective. Um, that's a very good question. I know that there is a translator function that they're using i don't know how much of it is nlp real time for that translation because there are lots and lots of companies that make that sort of stuff um what i can tell you is that anybody that i've ever interacted with from huawei um goes be above and beyond to make sure that you understand in your language, whether it's English, French, or whatever, exactly what they mean. Hmm. And they take a lot of care in that. They don't always succeed, but they try very hard to do it. That's the other thing. If we're all virtual conferences, how come they're all unilingually English? A good question. Well, I haven't seen an Amazon one or a, a Google one or, a, you know, any of them presented with multiple language options. It should be, especially with the pre-recording, it should be easy. That's right. To, to, to me, and I, I've been, I was at a, this is related to my church, but they had live transcription at the, at their national event. Like every room of a certain size had a live transcription feature on it mm -hmm. from an accessibility perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and I've seen, I think they did that at Glucon on, on the main stage. They were able to make it available, but with, with um, these pre-recorded sessions, everything should be, you know, in a transcript should be available. And it'd be nice to be able to float through a conference and walk through and be able to catch up on what you missed by going back in the in a transcript. Um, you've used you've used um, services like Otter before, um, but those are usually after the post fat post you know ex post facto you know afterwards you've got the transcript. Do you ever use them in in real time? I do. I do. Um, if I'm in a meeting, especially one that I'm like monitoring, so I'm like a, uh, just watching like my team's doing a presentation or something, I'll let Otter do the transcription of that meeting. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'll, that'll let me scroll back through and catch up if I need to do something. Um, yeah. 
it'd be nice to have something that was more targeted because it doesn't let me, I'd like to annotate, sort of can do this, but it doesn't work as well as I want. Annotate and say, hey, I want to go back and ask a question about this. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah the, I, the, the, edit, are, the editing great. capabilities in Otter leave something to be desired, but in general, <laughs> do a pretty, pretty good job. And it's certainly the value for what you're, the value for what you get is is really quite good. I think we've we've been really really happy. With, like Otter is changing the way I prepare materials altogether because I will I will dictate a blog post instead of writing it, even though the end text doesn't end up looking anything like my dictation. But um, but it does it does let me start capture the whole. Great, it's a great way to start. It's a great way to capture. Yeah. That's what, that's what yeah, our marketing team will literally say, all right, dictate what you think you want for this blog post and we'll fix it. And they'll, you know, it, it gives them, it gives them enough to start. Um, and I've started, Google isn't as good as, um, as Otter is, but um, if we're co-editing a document, mm -hmm. sometimes we'll be in a place where I'll turn on the, the speech uh, transcription in a section so literally you can be you know i'll be speaking and you can see my my text capture what we're saying um in in otter you can yes. otter mm -hmm. well or even in a shared google document they have uh, they have a tool true. a voice a voice capture a voice transcription tool yeah i haven't found that to be very very well very well done but yeah no it's i've the times i've used it it's been worse so we will record otter and then we'll cut and paste from Otter because it's. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would, I would, uh, if Otter would improve their either online, online editor or kick out uh, the transcript in a fashion that I could, you know, do cleanup and still have it coordinated with the uh, the audio portion. Mm -hmm. That would be that would be a very nice thing. You, you can and I've been on meetings that you have used an Otter transcription of like a Zoom, and you can see the live transcription. It doesn't subcaption. I think um, Google Meet will sub will, will do live subcaptioning. They claim they will. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I thought they used Otter for it, but where um, you could hook. I don't know. It's we're well, we're getting close. I they Zoom does have Zoom does have a. a an interaction, a, a linkage with Otter. You can, you can, you can, you can take your Otter account and use that with Zoom. I don't know if it's real time though. It is real time, but it doesn't show it on the screen, which is what I'd like to. So, so it would be amazing to me to see, and and I can't imagine we're that far off from it. And then yeah. on the theme of conferences. It, I could easily see a conference like this where we had live transcription in each person's bubble. So you would yeah. literally be be looking at somebody and, and you would get subcaptioning or your closed captions like you get with TV on each speaker, which would be amazing. And then you could roll back and actually, you know, ideally see, hey, wait, I missed what they said. Let me let me not interrupt, but scroll back. Not to um, mention the fact that you can, as the speaker, go back and kind of say, let me rephrase that because or, yeah. or and and that that has some real value as well yeah you know i used to use a, a piece of software called cover it 
which I'm not sure if they were acquired and changed names. Um, I stopped using it for a, for a, a very specific reason. There was a function missing at that time. This is a few years ago, but it was fantastic and did almost exactly what you're talking about because it was designed for media, meaning news journalists, right? Where you could literally sit at a conference and your notes what you said, what other people said, it all got fed into it at once. And it looked like a, a, a massive mis mishmash of information, but they had a facility where you could get them to actually put the pieces together in a more useful way. But you were literally reporting live from, like from the scene as if someone was standing with a mic. And it was the best. I have never found anything even remotely close. I like Otter. Don't misunderstand. I think Google has a long way to go with its own capability, but that's exactly the kind of tool that you're talking about. I had hoped to our discussion the other day, Rich, that Miro was going to go in that direction, oh, but yeah. they're not. Yeah. And I keep looking through product hunt for the latest and greatest in that milieu uh, because that's exactly what I want. I, I I chuckled over the fact that you were talking about, you know, dictating the, the, the blog. I walk around the house doing it all the time. It's the transcription of it that then becomes a hassle because, you know, I, I would rather be able to just drop a thought or a note of this is what I want to say. And this is, maybe not the right context, or I, I want to think about that a little bit more, but that's where I think we need to go, not only with the closed captioning on Zoom, but with the opportunity to, excuse me, interrupt that caption to ask the question, not the hand raise. Like, there has to be some qualification around the hand raise function that says, wait, this is really important versus I want to make a comment, mm. or this is a question versus <laughs> I want to make a comment. And it's That's not a me thing. I think we all go through the same thing. <laughs> well, you know, I could go like this or. <laughs> it's the Mr. Cotter button. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the fact that we all can make that reference and get it is very telling. <laughs> I, had think, I had to think and make sure before I was. Oh, that, that that is an unforgettable reference, though. Um, <laughs> yeah, I. But it's it's interesting because I I do hope that all these things that we're talking about that are like just people are now better at using these tools than we were two years ago. Oh, um, yes. That we can that we can actually get into a. Um, and the tools need to improve too, John. If that's your, if that's your, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I think that we underestimate the audience's capability of being okay. better or worse at going. Okay, click on the link, decide whether you're going to be, you know, visual or or simply uh, be heard. Uh, I think we're coming to a tipping point where Zoom and its lookalikes, and especially Microsoft Teams, and I'm sorry for being biased, but that thing is horrible and constantly crashes my computer. Um, 
I think we need to go one step farther before people are going to actually look at it as a technology rather than, well, I just scrolled through TikTok. And I think that that's how they're starting to equate it. And so all the good technology in the world is only as good as not the acceptance by the user, but the actual value that it gives the user. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I do. I'm, I guess that my question for you is, is this is it's iterative and, and the software development times in some ways are slower than the person training times. Um, that Absolutely. We're, we're, we're training people in some new modes of communication and there's, it's opening up the opportunity for some more skilled users to come in with another generation of interaction tools that, are, that do things like we're describing, like have live transcription and live translation in a, in a session and allow and people to it. do pre-recorded and chat on it. Yeah. Oh, there you yeah, go. no, there's, absolutely. Uh, Otter. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I actually have a panel overlay for my backdrop where I can oh. run an Otter transcription. So like, like all, like this is all OBS for me. And so I can switch. Um, uh, let's see. I don't think I have to, before I switch anything on my desktop, I want to make sure I'm not. Yeah, uh, exactly. you're not dropping everything. <laughs> well, and I'm, I'm not. <laughs> it's not that. It's it's that I'm not. I'm not revealing some type of super sensitive information on my desktop by accident. Yeah. Um, so, like, I have a I have a button that switches. Oh, this just puts it behind my my window. I have a whole scene collection over here that yeah 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 okay um that puts me on well, way down at the bottom um but i can move things around on my desktop to um like so i can i can filter this but if this was an otter transcription i can actually like i have a little window that i can put at the bottom here and do an otter transcription and just show that um and then over do some overlays and have some special fun Mm -hmm. Oh, whoops. Now I'm all confused about where I Yeah, no, it's 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 a very good offering. It's a very good capability. I just demand more. Um, but that's just Reasonably. me. Um yeah, you know, I mean I totally agree with your your concept that it takes longer to build than to learn how to use. Yeah. If it was built differently, would it be better? But the the point that I was trying to get to was um, that I'm noticing more and more. I was on a Zoom call the other day um, through Pulse, and uh, one of the um, members of the pod literally said, I am turning off my video because my bandwidth will be better, and I can't afford to sacrifice the bandwidth of uh, for the for what I want to say to you seeing my face. And I think that that's exactly where we're, we're why we're seeing that tipping point. Interesting. I don't know if and, you disagree. It's, it's, it's interesting that they felt like they had this. I mean, I, I understand the, I've been on meetings where we're like, everybody turn off your video so that we can have an easier, easier call. Um, our, in my team, we actually don't use video at all. I have people on the team who never turn their cameras on. Yeah. Um, that uh, we found that um, in within the company, 
or, or with a, you know, a closed project, I would say 75, 80% of the time we're not using camera. Um, if we're doing any screen sharing to speak of, it's, you know, documents that we're co-authoring or that we're inspecting or something like that. The video turns into a distraction for a lot of this. That's, and I think that's one of those lessons that we need to have um, just societally. Like we need to figure out when the appropriate time is to have the videos going, when when we want it, when we don't want it. Mm -hmm. um, it it's a bit of a double-edged thing. Like um, with, with video off, you get uh, a best of privacy uh, and more comfort. Um, and I am, personally in that camp, as you can probably tell. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, video <laughs> does convey some additional information. Like I could just just see you nod to what I was saying. Or, um, or, yeah, the, it, it does make a difference. There's no doubt about that, Klaus. What I think is happening though, very often, when you're working with people you know, almost on a daily basis, um, it becomes um, somehow it, there's a there's a point in time where it becomes a distraction or it it detracts from the ability to focus. Absolutely. Uh, um, well, yes and, and no. I would say. Um, I find that with video off, I'm more comfortable multitasking. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I also recognize that with video off, uh, my attention span is shorter. So um, hmm. I guess it depends on, on whether I'm expected to pay a full attention or um, just partial attention present uh, and respond uh, when I'm called out. I, I agree with your assessment. I have there's an I have an interesting wrinkle on that though. If when I'm audio only, I'm more likely to walk or sit in a place where I can think. And in a lot of cases, if I'm in a video call, because I take usually take them from my desk, there's there there is a lot more distraction happening. And so oh, because when, you you've got real estate and you're getting the notifications and things like that. Exactly. And mm -hmm. so, so, yeah, so it, it has the opportunity for me to be interrupted. Right. So it's it's there's you know, I'm less likely to multitask if I'm visual because, you know, I have my my camera feed. But um, I'm, I'm still at my I'm still locked into my desk. If I'm having a really serious conversation. The best thing for me to do is actually be doing it on the phone. Um, and be walking around or doing doing something neutral. I, I agree. It's a it's a it's a tough choice. I, I don't think that there's a a good prescription for for in, in any one way or another. Um, yeah. I, I can also see that in, in some cases, um, it might be. I, I can see why a company might want to require video on particularly if it's a sensitive subject and they don't want you to be taking that call in a public area. Mm -hmm. mm, 
hadn't even thought about that. Well, you know, I, I think, I think we go through some form of maturity curve where if you're working with people on a really regular basis, day to day or whatever, over a period of time, you've taken in their body language. You understand their cadence, you understand their nuance, you know when they're making, when there's subtext that should be, you know, coming up in that closed caption rather than the actual closed captioning. Um, when, I'm, when I'm my usual sarcastic self. Sardonic, Rich. Sardonic. Um, because, but, but you get that. You can, your mind visualizes exactly what that person is saying, you know, their, their stance, et cetera. But at first you don't know. And I think a lot of people are shocked because the voice that has been not on a Zoom call then gets associated with the person who is, who may talk a lot with her hands like I do. Um, And it's not done for emphasis. It's just the way I am. Um, and then over time, you would learn that behaviorally speaking, and, and it would not no longer be necessary to have the video. Yeah. Maybe nice once in a while to see that person's face, but you would know exactly where they're coming from and, and, think, and truly understand. I think that. you hit on something, which is, uh, I think I may have been part of the first comparative study for group communication, small group communication, comparing different media, including email, text, or bulletin boards, conference, audio conference only, and audio and video. And one of the things that became very clear is there are certain things for which um, if you're going to use video, it is a distraction. If you're dealing with people you have not met before, um, it's it's helpful, but it also means that there's a lot of a, a much longer lead in time to kind of become accustomed to the way people interact. Um, there were the, the, what now seems obvious, the person that had a, had a terminal that only had uppercase, you know, always sounded, always looked like they were shouting, you know, when they were using text or, or email. So yeah, this is stuff that we we started doing for NSF, gosh, mid seventies, and that was and haven't seen much in the way of change. But what it says here is that there are certain aspects of the topic or the context that actually would recommend video, and others that would say it's it's a toss up. Things that have affect whether it's mm-hmm. positive affect or negative affect, generally don't do well by email or text only. It doesn't, it de- often does not serve your purpose to, to have that conversation with text. Audio, better. At the time, I think mostly because people did not understand or had no experience with video that tended to be a little bit less um, efficacious than just the audio only conference. Uh, yeah. Y- y'all are making me think of 
this thing they do this when they have people watch uh political speeches like they have a knob that they turn for sentiment yeah um, and and the value of having sentiment vector that you could dial during a meeting like like this is this to me is where the the tools could have you know interesting things where you could be like okay I'm I'm nudging up or down because I would love to be at a meeting where I get people who are like, yeah, okay, we're all we're all happy. We can shut up and stop talking about it, or I'm still mad. I better not just move on. Or I need to talk to one person individually and everybody, you know, they're out of they're out of step. Um would add a dimension, one that would let us not always have the facial stuff, because that's what we're relying on. Yeah. Um I, yeah, it would be I interesting know. to have an a, a, an emotional sentiment. Uh, well, sentiment analysis has been around for a long time. The sophistication of the tools is coming to, it, it's still nascent to the, to the point of being mainstream emergent. And I would say you're going to see a, 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 what's the word in English? Um, a, a bridging between NLP and sentiment analysis. Because even linguistically, the word choice has meaning, right? Yeah. You know, you you pointed out that I was a P person with the PQUN and other words that I was using that started with P. And no, 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 I'm not calling you on it. I'm just trying to make the point that the person's choice of words can be easily interpreted by NLP. But the sentiment that goes behind that choice of words needs to be fleshed out and investigated in a way that the message would resonate more positively or it's already positive and doesn't need to be tweaked, changed, or it's a negative message and they don't even realize that just because of the fact that their word choice happens to come up that way, that they're not conveying what they actually believe. And in, in an audio or an audio video situation, the idea of actually drawing sentiment assessments out of facial expressions of the audience, the nodding, the the frowning, the you know, what have you. That's something that I've not seen happen, but in conjunction with NLP. Makes perfect sense. Folks, okay, I gotta, start a I've got to jump. Yeah. Plus, what were you going to add? I, I was just going to say, like, good news sentiment analysis is a core part of uh, natural language processing. Uh, th- there is several active fields of research uh, that are related. Uh, in particular, mm-hmm. there's also uh, a group that I'm, that I'm working with here um, as, as a consultant on um, on rhetorical analysis uh, in relation to natural language processing. So we are we're not only uh, ex- already exploring these these topics since like the 80s, 90s. There's been yeah. several great topics, uh, uh, great papers about that. Uh, but we are also now collaborating with other fields on. On, on expanding um, a knowledge acquisition uh, based on contextual cues as opposed to literal cues. I like that. Yeah. Shoot me an email on what that's about. 
because um, that is I'm I'm looking at, you know and it's a little bit off topic and I'll be very quick because I know it's 1204 um, but there's a there's a definite need for that kind of capability when you look at connected workers, particularly in factories, and making sure that the connection between them and what they're actually doing is conveyed up the chain and down the chain. In other words, connect the top floor with the shop floor in a more useful way than what we're seeing. Anyway, uh, in, in chat here, I, I typed... Um... Thank the you. Preference. So that's uh, Randy Harris is the 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 professor that that's leading the the research group. Okay, I'll take a look. All right. Cheers. Thank you. This was fun. I, I love when we we get deep dive in the topic in a topic like this. Yeah. We just have think, to bring it back to the actual topic, like serverless and on the edge. We'll we'll get there. I, there's one or two people that I want to have for the serverless topic, and they weren't here, so I was happy to. to this this we went we went very deep in I think a really interesting ways. Wonderful. Thank you all. Before we drop, Rich, yeah. check out PUF Cafe. PUF Cafe. Okay. Yeah. Based on our discussion the other day, you'll find it extremely interesting. Okay. We'll do. Thank you. Sorry. Bye. No worries. Bye. I love when the Cloud 2030 discussions stay on the topic that we use as our icebreaker. If you're just a podcast listener, then you don't realize the first 15 minutes of all our meetings are icebreaker, hallway-type conversations. And this is a time when we just let the hallway part of the conversations go um, because we found it fascinating. So we'll go back and do serverless uh, another time. And for now, I hope you enjoyed thinking about how to make our digital interactions and real-life interactions more meaningful. Please join us at the 2030.cloud. The purpose of this session is to make those interactions meaningful, and I know you'll get a lot out of it. See you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently. Because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know, laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.